Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. I'm joined again with by Dr. Michael Rogers, uh, the center director at the Citrus Research and Education Center. Michael, welcome. Oh, thanks, Frank. Great, great. Well, you know, this this episode, we're going to talk to some of the other um, center directors at the Indian River Research and Education Center and the Southwest Florida Research and Education Center uh, just to talk about citrus research as we head into this new uh, season. And and Michael, we will want to talk about uh, CREC, Citrus Research and Education Center, uh, some of the obvious uh, citrus research going on there. But before we get into that, just tell us a little bit about what you're hearing from growers in the area about how the crop is looking as we start to head into this harvest season. Yeah, well, thanks, Frank. And and I've, I've been out and actually uh, been visiting growers around the state over the past month or so, and it, it's a mixed bag out there. Um, you know, we've got some folks whose, you know, trees, you know, still need a lot of work to bring them, bring the yields up to where we'd like to see them. And but I have seen some groves that look quite remarkable, um, you know, kind of reminiscent of where we were, you know, maybe 15, 20 years ago. Um, and, you know, these growers have been working on their nutrition program in particular, uh, doing everything as far as getting soil pH, you know, alleviating all the stresses on the trees. And over a, a period of years, I've really seen those groves come back. And and I was in a grove that looked just a couple of weeks ago, looked very similar to what I would have seen, you know, before HLB. The big question remains, you know, will those fruit hang on the tree? And will we will they be able to uh, hold, you know, those high number of fruit through the harvest season? And, and that's one of the things that's been a big focus for us going forward is trying to find ways to, to keep fruit on the trees. And we can talk about some of that research here in a little bit. But but, uh, you know, it's optimistic, you know, when you look at some of the groves and some of the success some people are having. And, and again, we're just hoping that we can get everybody um, up to speed on the work, the latest tools that we have, and, and get folks using those and hopefully turning some of the things around in the field. Um, one of the other things that, that I've gotten a lot of questions about lately, um, and some, some of you all may be aware, um, has to do with supply chain issue with with the midocloprid that's happening this year and with admire pro and uh, that's a product we had a, a special local need label a 24c label for um, that allowed growers to use higher rates per season especially on our young blocks to protect new plantings from psyllid and uh, that was something we did we changed had the labels changed working with epa back in 2012 2013 and again, the idea was that they could apply more imidacloprid and other neonics throughout the year to provide that season-long protection of young trees. And what's happened is that that special local need was granted for Admire Pro, but due to an issue with the manufacturing plant, it may be a while before there's any imidacloprid or Admire Pro available on the market. And so there's some efforts underway right now by FDAX working with Citrus Mutual and we think that they may actually be able to get another 24C label for another imidacloprid product to help 
fill the gap during this period where there won't be an Meyer Pro available. So I just wanted to mention that because I've gotten a lot of phone calls about that uh, recently. And I think it's important for us as an industry because, you know, we want to see folks continuing to replant um, groves. And when you put those new trees in the ground, do you want to protect them the best you can through the first few years of life? A lot of folks are using the um, individual protective covers on those trees that do a good job of keeping silids off. But still, there's a place for imidacloprid in those young tree protection programs, and and hopefully we'll have continue to have good availability of imidacloprid um, at those higher use rates going forward. We'll have more information about that as it becomes available, and so just stay tuned. We'll keep everybody posted on the progress with that. That's good to know, and because I, I know that's an important tool, especially in that young citrus. Well, good update on there. You know, you're at the Citrus Research and Education Center, and the name says it, that center is dedicated to citrus. So tell us a little bit about some of the research priorities there at CREC, and maybe give us some highlights of uh, promising research underway at the center. Okay, yeah, and I think everybody knows, I mean, we've we've been very hyper-focused on citrus greening or HLB uh, ever since the disease came into Florida. Um, and, you know, our, our work has, has come a long way since, since screening first showed up here. And right now, I mean, just without going into a lot of details on specific projects, you know, we, we kind of, we've, we've said this before, we have two trains of research. We have some that are, it's focused on, you know, short-term, what can you do right now to keep those trees productive? And then, of course, there's the long-term projects trying to develop um, tools or new or new new approaches to basically circumventing citrus screening to make it not an issue for us anymore. Those long-term solutions, and you know, we've we talked about some of those at Expo just recently uh, this past month, and we heard a lot. We heard some long-term uh, projects that are going on. These are things like the gene editing work of citrus. We have a number of researchers that are using that CRISPR technique to come in and edit the genes in citrus to make it. Uh, not susceptible to uh, citrus screening disease. There's been a lot of progress in that front. Um, it's still, it's not a short-term solution for us because it's still going to take time to get those those gene-edited citrus trees trialed in the field. And then if they do really turn out to be something that works, then to get that in the hands of growers. So those types of things are going on as well as conventional breeding programs. Um, we've we've seen a lot of, of new material coming out of our plant improvement program, both uh, processed fruit and also fresh fruit that looks really promising. And um, we're seeing a lot more growers starting to plant some of these new juice varieties, things like OLL20 and, and use on some of the newer rootstocks that are coming out of UF. And so we're going to continue to develop our data set on all those new varieties we have and make those options, you know, out, get those options out there in front of growers to be thinking about when it comes time to replant. And there, there's a number of other projects underway as well, um, other therapies and things like small molecules that can be injected into the trees to uh, target citrus uh, greening pathogen and things like that. So there's a lot of interesting things that we're not ready for the field yet or not ready for the growers, but we're making progress. And we'll, we'll have some of those folks working on those projects and future podcasts on to tell you uh, more about what's going on there. But... Um, as for the short term, you know, what growers can do right now, I think that's something that we're really focused on, trying to make sure that we get tools in the hands of growers uh, as quickly as possible. And at the Citrus Expo, you heard a lot about things like some of the uh, nutrition programs, some of the work that's being done with BMPs, trying to develop better nutrient recommendations 
especially for nitrogen and phosphorus, which have been a big issue for us around the state. And also the plant hormone work, for example, with things like gibberellic acid and, and 2,4-D. And, um, you know, there's some promising things there that Dr. Vashish mentioned in her presentation at Expo. And I mentioned earlier, you know, we've got some growers who have some beautiful groves with, that are hanging a lot of fruit right now. And so things like 2,4-D, for example, are showing promise as something that can be applied up to 60 days prior to harvest and help keep those fruit on the tree longer. And so we're continuing to work on those types of approaches to increasing our yields, increasing uh, fruit quality through better nutrition, and things like that. So, uh, you know, we continue to work hard <laughs> and as fast as we can go on, on these projects. And I'd encourage folks, if, if you weren't at Citrus Expo and would like to hear an update on, on you know, what was presented there, we, we have got those presentations online now. And if you go to our website, citrusresearch.ifas.ufl.edu, we have those presentations posted online. And so you can go back and review what was presented and and, of course, there will be a lot more uh, meetings and presentations throughout this fall. We've got a lot of things coming up you'll be hearing more about. And we'll also try to get people uh, some more of these, uh, some of the newer projects, you know, onto the podcast here in the, in the coming months. I think last month we had a, a longer podcast. It was a discussion with myself and Dr. Vashish talking about some of the plant growth regulator work and what you can do now with those plant growth regulators. That was the audio part of a video that we actually put online. It was one of our first of our series we're going to start called Citrus Conversations. You can also find that video online at, at the citrusresearch.ipis.ufl.edu website. And so we're going to continue, you know, in general, trying to find new new ways to get information out to growers, uh, formats that, that people like uh, with, with timely information. And, and I would just encourage folks, if there's things that, that you like that we're doing or things you want to hear more about or ideas you have for us, to please reach out and let us know because we're open to doing things differently as we have, than we have in the past. But the main, the, our main goal is just to try to get stuff out as quickly as possible, get information in the hands of growers so they have what they need to make their own decisions about what's going to work best for their operations. Yes, a lot of good information on that website. I will comment on the, uh, the conversation that you and Dr. Fasheath had about the plant hormones. That was really, really good in-depth, probably the deepest dive into that topic that I've heard. So I thought that was a great, great resource for growers uh, on the podcast or on the video. So that was that was all very helpful. I guess to wrap us up, um, if, you know, growers local to the area near CREC, if they're interested in stopping by, you know, uh, how would they reach out to engage with the center uh, beyond the website? Well, you can always, uh, you know, if there's somebody in particular looking for you have questions for I mean obviously give us a call um, we'll be putting out uh, information on coming meetings there's a number of OJ breaks uh, that'll be happening uh, here at Lake Alfred throughout the fall we've got our plant improvement will have their fruit displays going this fall as well here and so there's a number of opportunities to get out and, and see things um, here at the station through meetings that are going to be held um, and we just encourage folks to take take opportunity, take the opportunity to come out and see us and, and attend these meetings. And, and again, we look forward to seeing everybody uh, around the station this fall as, as we continue our work and keep on getting that information out in their hands. Well, very good with that, Michael. We'll wrap it up and uh, we'll talk to you again next month. All right. Thank you, Frank. I'd like to introduce and welcome to the program Mike Burton. He is the new director of the Southwest Florida Research and Education Center in Immokalee. 
Mike, you're relatively new to the job, so let's start the conversation by you telling us a little about your background. Well, it all started in 1967 when I was born, so I don't know that I'm, I'm new to this world or, or new to agriculture, but I'm certainly new to Immokalee and to the Southwest Florida Research and Education Center. We're super glad to be here. Um, it's quite different from what I've experienced in any other part of my life. I grew up in East Central Indiana on a small secondary enterprise farm, which means my parents were paid for other jobs and we worked hard on evenings and weekends on the farm. It was only 10 acres in size, but it was enough to help keep my brother and sister and I out of trouble. None of us have any sort of prison history, so I guess they were pretty successful. We uh, were engaged with our community, um, had really good 4-H leaders, and I was a 10-year 4-H member, and later um, through an active and excellent vocational agriculture program in my in my high school, I became uh, active with FFA, which we called Future Farmers of America back then. And by the late 1980s, we started just calling it FFA. Um, I ended up becoming a state officer in that organization and spent a year being an advocate for vocational agriculture and and agriculture in general around the state of Indiana and had even an opportunity to travel nationally. It was quite eye-opening experience and, and terrific for me. Later, went on to uh, work at three different universities pursuing undergraduate and graduate education. DePaul University in Indiana, Greencastle, Indiana, a small private liberal arts college where I got my first degree and then went on to Ohio State University where I got a degree in agronomy and public policy. And after a short time in Washington, D.C., I went on to University of Nebraska to earn a Ph.D. working in weed ecology. The uh, ecology lab that I worked in there was was focused on management, but we were really interested in trying to understand the biology of weeds as they affected the most important industries in that state, things like seed bank longevity and competitiveness and how could we manage in ways that that would allow for economical and long both short and long-term success in dealing with, with what was often the most expensive part of farming in that region, irrigated corn and, and soybean. I uh, took my first faculty position at North Carolina State University, um, where I worked in a, in a weed science group in the crop science department. I um, was there for seven years, and uh, a month after I received promotion and tenure, I accepted a position at Missouri State University. A lot of folks thought I was crazy to do it, but I, uh, my family and I moved then to Missouri State University in Springfield, where I worked primarily as an educator, having been primarily a researcher at NC State. I was there at Missouri State for about 14 years, um, and over that time, as my amount of gray hair increased and experience increased, I started realizing I was spending about 25% of my job doing administrative things and um, started looking for opportunities then to actually get paid for it. Eventually, I was working as a proxy for our dean during a uh, health crisis that he was facing, and, and that led to some month and six-month long periods of time where I was operating in, uh, uh, for the dean and attending the higher-level administrative meetings. And one thing led to another that uh, we discovered there was a position open um, in Immokalee. And when my wife identified this position and the excellence of schools and the surrounding communities, we moved along with my now almost five-year-old daughter to northeast Naples, and I commute to Immokalee every day, and we look forward to many years, if not decades, in uh, in this community. We're super happy to be here. 
Welcome, welcome to Florida. And sounds like you've got a long career steeped in agriculture, so it sounds like a great addition to the center there. Yeah, um, I should mention too. Forgive me for interrupting. That one of the advantages of being at Missouri State University is I was on a nine-month contract, and that allowed me to return to farming during the summers, and and was part of my exposure to um, what I called high-dollar vegetable crops. We grew sweet corn and annual plasticulture, strawberries and watermelon and pumpkins and we're just about to start on a crop of tomatoes. Um, had actually bought the seed um, in December, uh, last December, and then uh, never got to use it because we moved here in June of uh, this year. So you you were experiencing it from both ends. So that's fantastic. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, you know, one never of got the, to grow citrus though. Yeah, there you go. Well, <laughs> well, that gets me to the next question. You know, one of you the bet. one of the missions of the center there in Immokalee is uh, serving citrus growers. And I'd like to talk more about that, but but first, what are you hearing locally from growers about how this new crop is looking in the groves? How how the new crop of, of citrus is looking? Yes. In, in the groves? Well, I'm hearing a lot of folks are, are continuing to struggle, right? We see some folks who are who are having experiencing some success with high levels of management, but of course that comes at greater intensity and greater expense than anybody's ever had to do before. So uh, part of what we do at at SWIFREC at the Southwest Florida Research and Education Center includes these economic analyses. And, and honestly, folks are struggling um, where we're using our best management practices and using some protective covers and adequate fertilization, good varietal selection. Some folks are able to do better in keeping the fruit on the trees. Um, but we're still suffering. We see groves all around us that are being pushed over and um, and converted in one way or another. And it's a it's a serious concern for us and for our growers who are around us. I can tell you my staff is and faculty are all in to do everything they can um, to to try to stave off or find ways to get around this disease. And we've seen some significant scientific breakthroughs, and we're hoping that um, these might be industrialized in a way that they can be economical solutions for our growers uh, in the near future. Tell us a little bit, you know, the scope of citrus research there at the center, and maybe from there, just talk about a few of the specific projects that you think growers uh, should be should be interested in and should learn more about. Sure, I'm happy to. We at present have 13 faculty members here. Um, we're about to have two more. We're in the process of hiring a vegetable horticulture specialist and uh, and an artificial intelligence. Uh, scientist, faculty member to work in the area of soil and water science and ecosystem services. And we're excited about those additions. Probably won't be here until January or a little after, um, but we're looking forward to their additions into our program because we think that through their expertise, we're going to be able to further forward that mission that we have of, of trying to really keep our growers competitive and economical while still serving our environment and, and our consumers well. Among that 13 faculty members, it's important to recognize that they're not alone in that. And we have a total of nearly, including the faculty members, we have a total of about 100 staff, grad students, postdocs, uh, postdoctoral fellows, so people that have earned their doctoral degrees and then come here to do additional work. We just recently released two Fulbright fellows back to their home country after they spent three months here on Fulbright fellowships, doing some really exciting work in citrus to try to uh, what we call a process of induction, where they can 
try to stimulate additional plant defenses against things like citrus greening or HLB disease um, in order that the plants will be able to defend itself before it's exposed to the psyllid, the Asian citrus psyllid that, that carries this disease and is continuing to be a problem for us. We also have other visiting scientists who come in from a variety of places around the world. One of the things that attracted me to the position was this fact that we've got some 24 different nations represented among the faculty, staff, and students who are here. Um, this is like the United Nations, an incredibly effective version of the United Nations in working on bringing some of the best minds in the world to try to address the problems that we face here in the uh, in Immokalee and the surrounding area. You know, for, for years I worked in what would be considered the bread baskets or grain baskets of, of this country, and, and now I'm very honored to work in what I consider to be one of the most productive and most important fruit baskets in the world. HLB, clearly at the forefront, right? Citrus greening disease. But it's not, and it is not, and has never been the only thing that, that we think about here. All of the insects, all the diseases, all the weeds, all the nutrient management, all the irrigation issues that faced the industry before are still with us. It's just that HLB has sort of eclipsed that because it is such a serious threat to the, almost all the aspects of the citrus industry. Um, we're still concerned about BMPs. We're still con best management practices. We are still concerned about phosphorus fertilization. We're still concerned about water quality, and we address those things. Uh, one of the most exciting breakthroughs that we've seen, although it's it's still got some some consequences associated with it potentially, and we're investigating those to a greater degree, is the uh, oxytetracycline treatments. Um, Dr. Uta Albrecht here at our facility, working in conjunction with our with our um, plant pathologists, with our um, with our citrus um, citrus extension specialists, have um, identified a recover a nearly curative um, treatment using oxytetracycline on these trees and managed to keep the fruit on them, managed to maintain productivity, but it doesn't prevent reinfection later. What we hope is that by working with our entomologists and the protective means that we have, that we can not only clean up some of these trees from the disease disorders, but restore a productive a production level that is economical and even profitable for our growers in the region. Then we've still got to manage the insects. I'll share with you that when I was working as a in, uh, teaching a sustainable agriculture course at Missouri State University um, just a year ago, and for many years before that, I very cynically told my students, if you enjoy orange juice, you better enjoy it while you can because I recognized that there were thousands of acres in Florida and other places in the country that were being pushed down each year because of this citrus greening disease. And what I've meant to do by that is sort of sound the alarm to my students that pest management was critical. And if they thought that it wasn't, then recognize that one of the most delicious and nutritious products that this country is able to produce was being seriously threatened and decreasing in its area of production every year. Absolutely. And I know growers are certainly looking at Dr. Albrecht's work and excited about that. And I understand those products are moving along through the registration process. So we'll, we'll all keep track of that and keep everybody updated. You know, to wrap up a little bit, um, if there's a grower locally in, in that area of the state that would like to 
engage with the center, what what's the best way for them to reach out to you all? Oh, we'd, we'd love for that to happen. Um, in fact, most of our work, we've got 320 acres here at Swift Rec, and uh, you should understand that even though that sounds big to somebody who lives in town, it's it's not a huge research station. Most of our work is conducted on the farm. So if folks have problems that they are find that are new or that are recurring problems, we want to know about it. Most of our faculty have a significant portion of their appointment as extension. So please call us. Um, our main phone number here is 239-658-3400. Again, that's 239-658-3400. You could drop in during regular business hours. It's t- we're just a mile north of Immokalee on Highway 29. It's 2685 State Highway 29 North. Um, you can find us online and drop us email. Um, our URL or our um, our uh, web connection is SWFREC, Southwest Florida Research and Education Center. That's what that's short for, swfrec.ifas.ufl.edu. If you want to come out and see the ways that we operate in, in, in all the dimensions, fruit, vegetable, and citrus, come to our open house. Uh, we uh, we're hosting that here at the center and the address I just mentioned on November 30th. You can find more information about that on our website, and we'll look forward to, to shaking hands and, and introducing you to the work that we're doing here. That sounds like a great opportunity for people to come see the center and, and interact with, with yourself and the other faculty and staff there. So I'd encourage people to get out there, and I'm, I'm going to try to be there myself. We'll look forward to seeing you, Frank. Thanks so much. Now I'm joined by Ron Cave. He is the director of the Indian River Research and Education Center in Fort Pierce. Ron, welcome. Thank you. Great, great. Well, we're going to talk a little bit uh, about the center and some of the citrus research that's going on there in a minute. Mm -hmm. But before we jump into that, um, how's the crop looking over on that East Coast uh, area where the center is located? The crop is looking pretty good. Uh, growers are reporting the fruits are a bit on the small size, and that very well could be because we've had a very, very dry summer. But the maturity is coming along. There's lots of fruits on the trees, so the growers are optimistic. Yeah, they do see those USDA reports that say that this could be the lowest yield in 70 years, something like that. But the men and women who are in the citrus industry are a hardy crew, and and they're doing everything they can to uh, to those yields up, get the fruit quality up to standards, and uh, do what's best for their industry. Fantastic, and I know that you know that grapefruit is a big deal over in that part of the world, and the the research center there in Fort Pierce um, has a pretty good focus on citrus, so. You know, as we go into this new season, talk a little bit about some of the citrus research specifically that's going on there and, and maybe some some tough topics there. Sure. Well, we've got lots of uh, research going on with citrus here at, at IREC. Um, a number of faculty are, are working on a variety of projects. Uh, we've got Sandra Guzman looking at fabric mulch ground covers as a way to manage water usage using sensors to to monitor the soil moisture. And she's come up with a, an app called Irig Monitor, which is part of the Internet of Things. So it's an application which, uh, using sensors, they can see what, how much water the tree needs and how much is it getting and how much it, uh, it, it is going to need in, in the coming future. So 
Uh, also, another, another important part of research here is looking at fertilizer rates. The fertilizer rates right now are based on pre-greening trees, and uh, Alan Wright and Lorenzo Rossi are wanting to develop new guidelines for HLB-afflicted infl trees and see what the nutrient needs are for, for trees with greening. So a lot of fertilizer work going on there. And, and Dr. Rossi is also looking at a way of using sap analysis to judge how uh, healthy the tree is by looking at the nutrient levels in the tree with the sap analysis. Uh, he's also looking at oak mulch to see how that improves the titer of, of the bacterium that causes greening in the tree and, and improves soil health. And um, just looking at the microbial community as a whole of the soil. As far as pest management, our plant pathologist Liliana Cano is looking at greasy spot and other peel disorders and trying to come up with an idea of how uh, fungicides are really being effective against control of greasy spot. You know, is there resistance being developed to these fungicides by the uh, by the fungi? And she's also looking at ways to uh, to monitor trees for diplodia stem end rot and so that there can be some reduced mandatory segregation of fresh Florida grapefruit exports arriving in Japan. We have a new faculty member, Nicole Quinn, whose specialty is biocontrol of invasive insects. So she's looking at potential natural enemies, particularly parasitic wasps, to introduce for spherical scale, also called Lebec, uh, spherical mealybug, also called Lebec mealybug. And Pasco Avery, a bioscientist here, is looking at uh, the use of fungi to control mites in citrus under protective screen, these cups houses that uh, are meant to, to keep the psyllid out so that the trees don't become infected with HLB. So lots of work with pest management, fertilization, irrigation, and, and some unique things such as oak mulch. Yes, very interesting. A lot of that work, too, are things that growers can, you know, put to work in their grove today. So I know that's been a, a big focus of the IFAS research. Um, you also have there the Millennium Block, which is a trial of rootstocks and varieties. I know that's a, kind of a showcase for you guys. Talk a little bit more about that. Sure. The Millennium Block is like the jewel of our citrus program here at IREC. This is something that uh, began about three years ago. Uh, and it's got a, it's got four different trials. There's one trial that's evaluating, I think, about 25 or 30 grapefruit scions and grapefruit hybrids on three different rootstocks. So we're evaluating the grapefruit and grapefruit hybrid scions on three different rootstocks and also three other trials that are essentially rootstock trials. And each of those three trials, looking at about 30, 35 rootstocks from UF, from USDA, from California that uh, are on three different scions, mandarins, grapefruit, and navel orange. It's going quite well. I've had some growers tell me it's the best-looking IFAS research grove they've ever seen. Fantastic. Well, I understand there's a field day coming up here before too long. Yeah, we have a field day uh, scheduled at this moment for October 19. That's, I believe, a Wednesday. Yeah, it's Wednesday, October 19, from 9 to 12 in the morning. 
fantastic. And and for growers and local to the area or even beyond, if they're interested in engaging with the center or maybe even reaching out to collaborate with one of the researchers uh, there, what should they do? Well, the best way to go to do it, the best way to go about it is to look at our website. There, they can see uh, all of the faculty that are here at uh, IREC doing research, and which ones are specifically doing research on citrus. And uh, the website gives the contact information, the email, and phone number for those faculty members. So that if they've got a plant pathogen problem, they can find the contact information for Liliana Cano. If they've got a question about irrigation, they've got the contact information there for Sandra Guzman. If they've got a question about fertilization, they can talk to uh, Alan Wright or Lorenzo Rossi. So directly looking at the IREC website, or they can just give me a call and I will direct them to the appropriate uh, faculty member. Fantastic. Well, that is great. We appreciate you joining us today, and we'll catch up with you soon. Okay. appreciate it, Frank. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.